With climate change very much in the headlines on the programme this week, we're chatting with the farmer who's just returned from Tasmania and the conference where it was very much on the agenda. During a person's lifetime now, they eat 35,000 more meals because of um, increasing longevity. So if each person's eating 35,000 more meals in their lifetime, you know, someone's obviously got to provide that. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Yes, the International Farm Management Congress has been held in Tasmania and Rutland farmer Andrew Brown was there. He acted as MC at one event and even did a bit of his stand-up routine for those down under. Climate change featured heavily, as we'll hear in a moment. Andrew's back home now, so how was it? Um, Well, it was great to be back in Australia again after 30 years. Um, I was first over there in, uh, in 1988 when I was on a sort of student working visa and um, and sort of travelled around the outside of Australia. Didn't actually make it to Tasmania on that occasion and um, always wanted to go back to Australia. And uh, this congress was in um, a place called Launceston. So it was a bit of a uh, tortuous journey to get there. It's about 30 hours, I think, um, on an aeroplane. And uh, I think there was four different flights, but uh, got there eventually, going from here when it was... 12 degrees or maybe even colder than that, 8 degrees or something. I got to Tasmania, it was 35. So that was quite nice, but a bit of a culture shock, I think. Absolutely. And what got you, you mentioned the, the planes got you there, but what actually got you out there? What got you the place at the Congress? Yeah, well, I was a, uh, I, or I'm a member of the Institute of Agricultural Management, and I saw that they had um, some funded places uh, for delegates to go to the uh, Congress, so I uh, applied and um, was lucky enough to be uh, one of the four... UK farmers to uh, to be funded. I had to pay to get there, but they funded the uh, the conference. So that was that was a real privilege to be able to go and be one of the UK delegates. Absolutely, and it was very useful. Did you you know learn a lot from it? Yeah, I learnt an awful lot about um, Tasmanian agriculture, Australian agriculture. Um, there was uh, delegates there from New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. There was a guy from um, Chile, I think, and one from Argentina. Some from Eastern Europe, quite a few from um, the EU too. So uh, there was a wide mix of people, and it's always great to um, to go to those conferences and, and learn from other other countries and see what problems they have. Now, of course, Australia itself, like, you know, last year it was very dry over here, and we know the problems that the UK was facing. It was much much worse though in Australia, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I came away with thinking that. Um, if you think farming's hard over over here in the UK, you want to go to Australia because, to be honest, it's a doddle here in comparison to what they have to put up with. I mean, if it's not wildfires, it's droughts or it's floods, you know, and uh, no real help from the government. Uh, so it, it is really tough. What else in the programme uh, picture your interest, if you like? We had uh, the inevitable politicians came to speak to us to start with, um, and Tasmania is on... Um, 41 degrees south latitude, and, and the conference was uh, was called Farming at 41 degrees south. And um, the thing I didn't realise about Tasmania initially was how big it is, because you think it's quite a small mm. island off Australia, but of course Australia in, in Australia everything's massive, and it takes four hours to drive from the top of Tasmania to the bottom. So that that's how big it is, you know, it's like 300 miles or something, and there's only half a million people live there. But um, only 8% of the land in Tasmania is used for agriculture. So quite a small amount, and over 50% is wood. So it's forested, mm. very, very forested. And, of course, as an island, they have to um, export most of, their, most of their produce. 70% is exported. But they've got this target now that um, 
they want to expand their agricultural exports to 10 billion, and they're currently at 1 billion. So that is a pretty big ask, I think, to do from quite a small island, obviously. Mm. So whether they can actually do that or not, I don't know. But they're looking at places like um, Indonesia and China for their main um, for their main market, obviously, because it's much much closer than um, than anywhere else, and they're so remote that they've 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 got to get stuff on trucks and and away as uh, as fast as they can. Was the things you learnt there that you you can bring back to the farm? Um, one of the best speakers I thought was on the first day actually, who was a um, a communications guy who's, who was talking about how a lot of um, food production is going to, out of necessity, move to cities and vertical farming on the side of um, tall buildings, that sort of thing. And so he came out with some very interesting facts that um, during a person's lifetime now, they eat 35,000 more meals because of um, increasing longevity. Mm. So if you think that is... As this is on top of, obviously, increasing population... So if each person's eating 35,000 more meals in their lifetime, you know, someone's obviously got to provide that. Uh, and rather worryingly, he also mentioned about um, peak water, because peak water is being reached currently, and, you know, if we're not careful, we're going uh, to run out. And um, another rather worrying statistic was that a third of the world's topsoil has been lost since 1975. There could only be less than 50 years of topsoil left for people to um to grow food on so uh you know it's uh, it is quite a worrying um worrying prospect that is but i mean uh, he came out with a lot of statistics but he said um that humans and the livestock that they farm make up 96 percent of living vertebrates so all the other animals in the wild animals and everything only make up four percent of vertebrates well, that is really, really weird, isn't it? Because you think there are lots of wild animals and things around, but, of course, most of the animals around is, is either us yeah. or our farm animals. Mm-hmm. You know, quite, uh, quite, a sobering, uh, quite a sobering thought. That's Andrew Brown safely back home after that trip to Australia. He was also uh, elected as an independent councillor on Rutland County Council in the local elections on Thursday as well. Congratulations, Andrew. Now, we'll uh, have a little bit more from him later in the programme. I'm keen to know what the Aussies make of Brexit, so we'll uh, explore that in a bit more detail later. First, though, our weekly update on the grain markets and uh, something of an end of an era, really. It's Rebecca Pierce's final report for uh, Open Field. Morning, Bex. Good morning, Sean. You OK? I'm a little bit emotional with this being my last market update for the show. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, likewise. So uh, what's happening? Sadly, after nearly five years with Openfield, I am in fact leaving the business. No. Any any hints as to where you're going? Watch this space. I'm not going very far. The UK agric sector doesn't get rid of me that easily. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, we'll keep watching out for you, I promise. Right. Uh, what's the news this week then from Openfield? As much as I'd love to let you know that the wheat market has rallied this week, it's clearly feeling a little sad that I'm leaving the grain trade as old crop May 19 London wheat futures fell out of bed this week down £6 on the week at Thursday's close at 160 and with consumers showing little interest on the June and July position cash values at the farm gate have weakened. In my area in East Yorkshire we've seen ex-farm feed wheat slide from around £165 a tonne a fortnight ago to sub £160 a tonne on current money and in Lincolnshire many now only have around £155 
five pounds a ton on the table. Has old crop wheat hit the floor? With less than 12 weeks until harvest, anything could happen, but the market certainly feels bearish right now and it will need some consumer activity to drive prices at the farm gate higher. As I always say, what's left in your shed? If we look ahead to new crop prices, and since the turn of the year, November 19 London wheat futures are nearly £20 lower, sliding from the mid-160s to the mid-140s where they stand today. Whilst they remain relatively unchanged on the week, this week down £1.50 on Nov 19 at Thursday's close, the focus remains very much on weather. We've recently seen rain in the UK this past week, which will have eased some concerns. But while some of my growers have received near 30 mil, others have barely seen 10 and would welcome more showers. And it isn't just about the UK, it's about what's happening elsewhere, over in Germany, Poland, Hungary, France, Russia, to name a few, and also in the US. This week, for example, US corn was up for the sixth consecutive trading session on the back of concerns over planting delays, with the US weather forecast for the next week not looking too favourable for planting progress either. Only time will tell with what harvest 2019 will bring for us all. Unfortunately, we've not seen a rally in our oilseed rate values this week either. Values are weaker on the week with no real support from consumers at present and the window of opportunity for us to sell getting smaller. Prices at the farm gate have fallen near £5 a tonne on the week and in some areas growers can no longer achieve north of £300 a tonne. A tight new crop S&D should be supportive to new crop values, but only time will tell. In some areas, values off combine are now trading very closely to old crop spot levels. For the last time from me, here's a roundup of prices. May feed wheat is trading circa 152 to 158 pounds a ton, with harvest 19 values trading around 135 to 140 pounds a ton, and a forward carry through until November, where prices are 140 to 145 pounds a ton. Feed barley values for May are 125 to 130 pounds a ton, with off combine levels circa 120 to 125 pounds a ton. X the farm dependent on area. There does remain opportunities for spring malting barley on buyback contracts so as always get in touch with your local open field farm business manager for more information. Oil seed rate value is a lower on the week as I've previously mentioned with spot levels for many now around £300 a tonne and likewise as available prices are two trading around £300 a tonne ex a farm. There remains a strong forward carry into November where many can achieve circa £310 to £315 a tonne ex farm. That's all from me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ah, the pleasure's all ours. Thank you for the final time, Rebecca Pierce from Openfield. I don't know. Right, let's get the latest agronomy news, shall we, from Sean Sparling. May is upon us, and we didn't really get many April showers. Well, depending where you are, I think variability is the word. Sean, morning. Yes, good morning, Sean. Well, yeah, variability is absolutely the right word. Um, I took 1.6 millimetres of rain between 5 o'clock Thursday morning and 5 o'clock Friday morning, but there were people out Little Hale, Sleaford Way, would take anything from 6 to 9 mil of rain. Navenby was around 5 mil to 7 mil of rain. Lincoln Heath, anything from 3 to 5 mil of rain. Get up onto the Wolds, it was anything from half a mil up to 6 mil. And if you add that onto what we took last weekend, I took 6 mil, but people took anything from 2 to 22 mil of rain. 
All of that is now washing the nitrogen down, which has been applied since the end of March and hasn't had any rain really to speak of since then, but it's now starting to get down to where these crops can use it. And that's why winter wheat has gone from pale green to dark green. Winter barley's gone from that horrible uh, browny, scorched-looking, abiotic spotted leaves to the new green leaves coming past them. They've suddenly gone very green. The spring wheat, spring barley growing like bilio now, greening up in the field. You can see the linseed, the peas, the beans, the sugar beet, everything is starting to respond. And that was always going to happen. A bit of warm weather, which we had at the beginning of the week, coupled to the wet we had last weekend, coupled to the wet we just had, coupled to the heavy dews we've had nearly every night this week. And all of a sudden, the nitrogen is finding its target and away things go. So let's start with winter wheat. There is a lot of septoria in the base of these crops. We've been able to find that all season long. The T1 fungicide is holding it quite nicely, but just monitor these crops very carefully now because this period of lush growth you're about to get into although having said that it is coming cooler this week and because leaf emergence is all down to temperature remember philocron it may just slow things a little bit but all the conditions are perfect for septoria to move and windy days and wet leaves with septoria inoculum on them it's going to spread around the canopy be alert to that yellow rust this is the perfect weather for yellow rust cool wet conditions although i know we haven't had rain but we have had a lot of very heavy dews and that's enough to get yellow rust moving in the crops so if it's not there now it's not likely to suddenly explode but do keep your eyes open on the susceptible varieties lily and reflection and some of those other uh, varieties which are susceptible to yellow rust just be aware of them and monitor them closely and the other thing you need to be aware of in these cereal crops is just how quickly they're going to move i've already got the flag leaf out uh, by about three inches on some september grilled graham i've got the awns poking out two or three inches clear now on bazooka winter barley so growth stages as things get warm they're going to skip through them very very quickly and that has implications if you're planning to put late growth regulators on wheat and barley remember all you're ever going to achieve with a growth reg on wheat and barley at this stage of the season is where you've got them at this stage of the season growth stage wise rather is just to strengthen those top internodes and prevent brackling really you're going to do nothing at all to help lodging that needed to be done at growth stage 31 32 so if you are planning to put growth regs on for goodness sake make sure you are safe but above all that you are still legal on those crops speak to your advisor and make sure everything is still as it should be spring wheat spring barley absolutely romping away now really moving quickly spring barley and, and greening up and looking a lot happier than it did this time of last week because it's had that drop of rain and because it is now finding that nitrogen not just the stuff you've applied but the fact that we've had warm soils heavy dews it means the soils will have mineralized and released their own nitrogen as well remember the timing for t1 isn't necessary to go at growth stage 31 or 32 it any time from the end of tillering to growth stage 30, 31. And I would be driven by the broadleaf weeds in those crops because even though we've had a drop of rain, every one of those big weeds, when they start getting competitive, they're sucking moisture out of that seedbed. So you're probably better to go a little bit earlier rather than a little bit later to take that competition out and give these crops the best chance they can possibly have. So linseed, it's gone from cotyledon up to sort of two good true leaf pairs. Now the flea beetles seem to be leaving it alone pretty much. It's growing away from any of that striped flea beetle damage um, but the weeds are coming up with it uh, and you need to just take care the same goes for sugar beet if you're spraying herbicides on linseed and sugar beet in this coming week please be careful because 
the combination of warmer soils, a bit of moisture, means that the crop is growing like bilio. You get very lush, sensitive to damage growth. Just as the weeds are growing quickly, and they should take herbicide in very, very quickly and easily, it should do a good job with the herbicide. The chances are you'll do a good job with the herbicide on the crop as well. Um, particularly if you think about a crop like sugar bee, where you've got multiple actives, each one of those actives will have a formulated surfactants and wetters, extenders and stickers, and all of those things within there are active on the sugar beet at the same time so if you've got lush growth they're talking about some frost coming we've got cooler conditions coming all the conditions are right for you getting some crop damage so be careful with the mixtures you're putting on and of course if the temperature gets warm you've got the other end of the scale problem which is above 21 degrees these herbicides don't work and the propensity of crop damage is high as well there so you just need to be aware of all those things pea and bean weevil um, still hitting peas still hitting beans but they are starting to move a little bit quicker than these things can damage them i have found some thrips in some sugar beet thrips in the heart of peas you get this glassy waxy appearance to the leaves they they rarely do economic damage but if you're going through for pea and bean weevil in peas and beans that will deal with the problem anyway haven't seen any aphids to speak of uh, misers persicate in my sugar beet remember your threshold is one nymph per four plants you as an agronomist and also you as a farmer need to take responsibility for looking don't just rely on an agronomist coming once a fortnight to look and trust that you need to be out in the field checking as well yourself and of course rely upon the bbro website too so everything's out there happening finally we've got a drop of rain finally things are moving finally the nitrogen getting into these crops i've heard the cuckoo it's cold there's frosts about it's a bit damp it must be may finally thank you sean sparling of sparling agronomy services Back to my chat with Andrew Brand then, fresh from his visit to that Congress in Tasmania. I wondered what they make down under of what's happening here with Brexit. Uh, Almost every person I spoke to said, what on earth are you doing? What are you doing? But they are absolutely mystified. They really can't understand what's going on and why you would turn your back on such a, uh, a large potential market because, of course, they certainly wouldn't be doing that. I mean, it'd be like Tasmania turning its back on Australia, which is its largest market. So so they were were really mystified, to be honest. Really, if this was a novel, I'm not sure you'd you'd think it was credible. You know, you say, well, this is just ridiculous. This could never, ever happen in a sophisticated, uh, mature democracy like the UK. This this sort of thing would never happen. I mean, it's almost like um, the House of Cards drama that was on... um, on well, there was an American one, wasn't there? And, the, and there was the um, the UK one. Well, was there the, what was the catchphrase? It was uh, oh, you may very well think that I couldn't possibly comment. And <laughs> I mean, I, I despair of what um, what they're doing and, and the way our country's going, really. But I mean, we've got what we've got. I mean, people do say you get the poli- you get the politicians you deserve. So I don't know. Maybe it's our own fault. And here on the farm, are you planning for Brexit? And can you plan for Brexit? And which one are you planning for? Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, we're diversifying or, or trying to. We've got um, we've got permission to convert one of our uh, redundant sheep barns into two holiday lets, and uh, we managed to secure some European funding as well to to do that. I mean, obviously at the eleventh hour, but I'm very grateful for um, for, for that funding uh, as well. So so that project is is about to start. Um, but I mean, there's only so much you can do because there's so much uncertainty. So. Um, Looking at your cost of production, you know, uh, looking at your markets, trying to control the things you can control, really. I mean, the, obviously you can't control the political situation. 
Um, so you, you've just got to look at the things you can control and do your best that way. I mean, I really don't know what else you can do. Uh, as for investing in anything, I would be very careful about investing in any big um, piece of machinery or anything like that at this stage because who knows where we're going to end up. I'm sure he's not alone in thinking that way. That's Rutland farmer Andrew Brown. The county show season is about to get underway again. The CLA says the shows will be even more crucial this summer as there's never been a greater need to engage directly with the public. Next weekend is the Nottinghamshire show at Newark. George Taylor is the showground manager. He agrees it is the ideal opportunity to speak with those not in the industry. That's it, and it's, it's a showpiece for agriculture. We'd like to educate the public on how things are done and how they were done in the past. We've got vintage tractor display, which is harvesting through the ages. Uh, and that'll take you from, you know, a man with a scythe right the way through to the, the modern-day combines. And it's the educational side of it that we... is one of our aims as a charity. I love the, 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 the New York, Nottinghamshire show, calling it the Newark show, which is a very old name, the Nottinghamshire show, because it is, it's kind of the first county show of the year, isn't it, really? It is, and uh, it brings its own problems in the fact that, uh, you know, this year we've got equine flu, um, which is one of the problems. Uh, and with us being the first show, we try and set the standards for the rest of the shows uh, to, to follow. Uh, any problems like that seems to come out in the town show first. And you mentioned the equine flu. Is that, is that causing a problem this year? No, no, it's dropped off. Uh, it caused a big problem in the racing community earlier on in the year. We've got um, various regulations we're going to stick to and, and keep, uh, you know, which we'll have to do. Uh, but it's dropped off. I think when I looked yesterday, there'd only been 10 this month, 10 outbreaks this month. And, and again, I mean, you know, the horses are... are but the equine is, is a, a key part of, of the show as well, isn't it? And it's a good attraction. It is. We've got 953 entries, equine entries. Um, the heavy horse section is, is even bigger this year than it has been in previous years. I think we're the biggest show outside the Shire Horse Show for heavy horses. So we're really proud about that. And they have their own ring this year. And again, it's getting that balance right, isn't it? You've got, as we mentioned, the, the, the agriculture, we've got the equine, and it's something for, for everyone, for all the families as well. Uh, we've got uh, Jiggy Tofter. He's an international Cossack trick-riding stunt team. Uh, they're coming uh, on horses. Uh, we've got Hawkeye Falconry in the countryside ring, Les Dixon with his gundog displays, and the sheep show, the ever-popular sheep show. We've got ferrets here, so people can do. The uh, food experience, uh, which is sheep and lamb this year, so... Children going there for um, do free activities. You know, we've got people demonstrating spinning. Must be a very busy time here at the showground, is it? It's extremely busy because we've got a tight schedule with uh, various events running up to the show. Um, we really can only get on the ground from Tuesday onwards to put the marquees up. So we're up against it a bit. So right now, building up to the show, what are you doing? What are you? What's what's your job, the day to day at the moment as we get ready for the show? My day to day job really is uh, just make sure everything's in place, ready to go when we can get on various areas marking out the showground for the various trade stands and displays we've got and just make sure the infrastructure's right, plumbers, electricians, marquee contractors, health and safety, everything like that. Health and safety is a big thing nowadays, isn't it? Especially building up to the show as well. There's all these regulations that have come in over the last few years. It's a massive thing. It's uh, all moved to what's called CDM, Construction Design Management, as well, uh, for these temporary marquees. Before they were classed as temporary structures, now they're, they're classed as building sites, really. And it's massive massive difference do you, do you find that um, you know the organisers of other shows come to Nottinghamshire see what you're up to and think oh we could put that into our show I'm sure they keep a close eye on us I'm sure most of them do George Taylor there looking ahead to next weekend's Nottinghamshire show The Farming Programme
five-day forecast. Yes, back to this week's weather and a high pressure is building today and into tomorrow, so a few scattered showers are likely, though some areas will be dry. The winds from the northwest around five miles an hour. Temperatures, daytime highs of 10, overnight lows, quite chilly actually, one or two at best. For the middle of the week, we're looking at low pressure moving in. That will bring some wet and windy weather. That rain, of course, much needed on the farm. Temperatures nearer 12, lows around 5 or 6, and the wind from the east at around 20 miles an hour. For now, that's the forecast. Next week, Simon will update us from British Sugar, and having laid out the problems, we'll ask Andrew Brown for a few solutions to the climate change discussion from earlier. That's next week. Until then, enjoy the rest of the bank holiday weekend.